In this episode, we interview author, screenwriter, and all-around great person Joey O'Connor. We talk a lot about the hardship and tribulation that has and continues to plague the Congolese people. If you're interested in learning more about how you can help, please check out the nonprofit Joey and others have set up, the Congo Reform Association, at www.congoreformassociation.org. Also learn more about our awesome ministry partners in the Congo, Africa New Day, at www.africanewday.org. As you do, prayerfully consider joining in with what God is doing to bring his restoration to the Congo and the Congolese people. Both those links are in the description of this episode. Thank you. You're listening to the Todd Rod God Pod, a podcast hosted by Pastor Todd Rodarmel and Drew Tilton, where we explore ideas of faith and what it means to have a sustainable spirituality. Hey, everybody, welcome to the Todd Rod God Pod. We are back for another awesome, awesome episode. I'm really excited, Todd. Oh, I am really excited about our guest today because I've been reading his book. Joey O'Connor is with us today. Hi, Joey. How you guys doing? Great being with you. Oh, man. So glad to have you. Um, Joey gave me my first job right out of college. He hired me uh, to be the junior high director and when he was the the youth director at Coast Hills Community Church, and I uh, got to work with Joey for a number of years, and then we've stayed in contact ever since. And he's part of our church and runs a a great ministry uh, ministry slash nonprofit organization kind of thing called the Grove that works with artists. And we'll talk a little bit about that. But we're just so excited to have have you here, Joey. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to today as well. Yeah, Joey, I was going to say that you actually got me my first job in writing. <laughs> so, yeah, Joey's, Joey's uh, hooking everybody up all the time. So, if you need a job, Joey, what's your email? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, Joey has recently been working on a book and uh, getting ready to release a book. It's, it's out right now and that you can get. And um, it's called Among Kings. And it's an amazing story that I have been reading. And, um, He's been working on for a long time. Let's start there and just talk about this story and what it is that got you to write this. I know you've been been working on it's been a passion project for years for you said like how many years now? Thirteen years. Wow. wow. How how did that how did that come about? Yeah. My brother in law, Ken Straw, came to me literally 13 years ago. We had lunch and he said, Hey, have you ever written a screenplay. He knew that I had written a number of other books before. And I told him I studied screenwriting for about six months, wrote one bad screenplay, and then went back to book writing. So we kind of laughed about that. But then he handed me this slim journal, like an academic version of a book. And he said, I want you to read this story because I've been wanting to tell this guy's story for the past 10 years. So I went home And over the course of the next week, I read the story about this man named William Shepard. And the following week, it was Easter Sunday, and I saw Ken at a family gathering. 
And I said, that was the most amazing story I've ever read. We must do this. So that began a process of Ken and I researching and writing a screenplay for the next two years. When we were completed with it, we submitted it to a number of screenplay competitions. And after, to our surprise, it won about five different awards from wow. LA to Las Vegas to New York. We said, okay, we think we've got something here. So that began a long circuitous journey, which has now lasted 13 years. And uh, three years ago, I began writing the novel version of all of our research, the screenplay content. So essentially, I've, you know, most people write a novel first and then write, they write a screenplay, but <laughs> we're, we're reverse engineering the whole thing. It's beautiful. Then you get to know it inside and out. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> wow. I'll just give our listeners a little tease. What is William Shepard known for? Like, what's, what's the synopsis? William Shepard is the first Presbyterian African-American missionary to go to the Congo in 1890. It took him three years to be accepted as a missionary because the era was post-Civil War Reconstruction period in America. Uh, he was born in the small town of Waynesboro, Virginia. He went to Hampton Institute, which is now Hampton College in Virginia. Mm -hmm. And he, he battled for three years to be accepted because they wouldn't let a black man go by himself. So finally, he was partnered with what I call a white pencil neck geek named Samuel Lapsley. And <laughs> the two of them, this unlikely pair, is sent to the Congo where they literally traveled a thousand miles up into the Congo River battling pythons, rampant disease, cannibal tribes, mercenaries. And a thousand miles up the river, they establish their mission. And so they went as two very green novice missionaries. It was kind of a Tweedledee, Tweedledum um, pairing, but what emerged was this deep, um, beloved inter interracial friendship. And so that's how the story begins to unfold. Yeah. Awesome. And it's, it's exciting because all the stuff you say, I mean, we, we think of travel today, it's, it's just different than it was, you know, in the 1890s. Um, <laughs> I'll say. <laughs> there was a, you know, this was just when the things were begin just being explored by, by Westerners over in Africa and that there's a, just a lot of, of exciting moments in this story. So, yeah. And, and, and what's, what's really fascinating about the period, which when we began our research 13 years ago, I literally didn't know anything about this subject matter. So imagine a story set in the industrial revolution during the great scramble for Africa uh, mainly from European uh, nations looking to con colonize Africa and quickly followed by the Jim Crow period in America. So you, you, you've got these, the, these clashing of kingdoms and time periods that when, when you jump into the story, it's just fascinating. I mean, I, I still am reading book after book on the period because even though the novel's finished, I'm, I'm fascinated by the period. There's just so much that we learn from it. Well, and there's so much that has influenced and trickled down to today that things that are that were happening, you know, then uh, have shaped 
things today. And, and, and I, one of the things I love about reading this book is all of these topics of, of like, we think of globalization as just kind of a, a newer thing that's happened in the last, you know, I don't know, 30 years, 20, 40, this was a right. hundred, little over a hundred years ago. This more than that. Yeah. This was a long time ago. This is where it was beginning. This was the seeds of it. And that colonization that we feel the backlash from in a lot of ways. And, um, yeah, it's, it's fascinating. It really is. And to, to really um, appreciate what Shepard was up against, what's really important to know about the story is who he set against. Shepard's the hero of, of our story, and his, his key enemy, his villain, was King Leopold II of Belgium, who had taken the entire Congo region as his own personal possession. Again, it's during the Great Scramble from Africa. All of Europe through the Berlin Conference has chopped up different parts of Africa, whether it's uh, Britain, Germany, France, Italy. They're all slicing it into bits. Um, no African is involved in the decision in the Berlin Conference. And Leopold, under this guise, this lie of civilization, Christianity, and commerce, he's going to develop free trade in the Congo. And again, before doing the research, I knew nothing about the Congo. But the Congo, if you if you take all of Western Europe, the Congo is bigger than all of Western Europe. If you wow. take if you take the landmass of the United States from the Mississippi east, the Congo is bigger than all the landmass going from the Mississippi to the east. So Leopold got this this um, uh, huge, you know, country and called it the Congo Free State. And from there, he began to enslave the nation for first the the ivory trade and then the rubber trade. So again, there's so much of the story we could talk about, but on and on. Uh, Shepard and Lapsley do not know. They know that Belgium owns and rules the Congo, but they don't know of the, the what they're stepping into. Yeah, they don't know what they're getting into and what is actually being done there until they they show up and they get to know the people and they build this mission station and and then they find out what's really happening. And that's I think where the story shifts and the you know e even as you mentioned the um, the enemy being being Leopold, he, you know, uh, William starts out going and thinking that his, his, uh, you know, task is just to bring the gospel over there to Africa. And he's always had a, a vision for that ever since he was a kid. And, but then it shifts and there's a, there's a bigger picture of some social justice needs that have to happen in order for him to be able to continue to bring the gospel to people, uh, because that's, part of the gospel, right? Is setting free the captives and, and mm. the oppressed. So, so how does, how does that shift happen for Shepard? And how did you see that in his writings that gave you the ability to, to write that shift into the story? Well, and that, that's a great question because when you read Shepard's memoirs and Ken and I, we, we've literally read every, everything he ever wrote, but he, he wrote a memoir called Presbyterian Pioneers in the Congo you can look it up on Google. You can download it for free. But he tells the chronology of establishing the mission with Lapsley, the different challenges they went through. 
But what's really interesting is that, and, and I think this is due in part because one, it's the Victorian era, um, but Shepard, since his overseers are white, he, like many like him, um, is, a, is a black man living in a white man's world. So um, he's very careful um, not to show all his cards, which is understandable. So in his memoirs, you don't get a sense of his of, of his real emotional heartbeat. We just get the facts. He's if you remember the old Dragnet series from the '60s and '70s, he he's like Joe Joe Friday. He just gives the facts. Just the facts, ma'am. Yeah, exactly. And I don't so, know what you guys are talking about. Sorry, you. <laughs> sorry, I'm dating myself. So so to to really get into the emotional thread of of Shepard's life, you really have to look at his life by what he did. And as you pointed out, he went over as a missionary, as an evangelist, but the greater story that he got, he got caught up in um, and, and what Belgium was doing there, it just goes on and on. And as I was writing the story, as, as Ken and I were doing the research, we just kept saying to ourselves, okay, these different aspects of the story, you just can't make this up. This is the, the truth is stranger than fiction because, and, and we'll, we'll jump into some of those details, but um, the, the story points of Shepard's life, they're, they're just absolutely fascinating. Hmm. So this is a historical fiction, right, Joey? Correct. Correct. The, the whole framework and foundation is based upon things that actually happened both in America, in Europe, and in Africa though creative license has been taken with some of the fictional elements to, to, to bring the, th the threads together. Essentially, there's so much research in history for this period. It was like taking a thousand pounds of information and baking it into a hundred pound bag. Right. Yeah. Right. And then having to cut that hundred pound bag down to 50 pounds. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's yeah. the brutal part of this process. How do you decide what to, what to leave out, Joey? Well, to put it in context, my, my first draft of the book was 800 pages. My second draft got it down to about 550 pages. And the final draft, it's it's just under 400 pages. So, and that, that's with many drafts written in between. But making decisions, there's, there's, a, there's a simple analogy. When, when creating a story... And essentially writing what I've done with, with Shepard's life, the hero's journey. For those of you who have studied hero's journey in high school or college, in, in writing a story, think of a stack of cards or, or, or house of cards. And if, if you can pull one card away from that house of cards and the house doesn't fall, then that card really isn't necessary. Mm. So in, in the editing process, you know, since we began with the screenplay and many versions of the screenplay, that formed a framework for how we wanted to tell the story. But then as I got into the, the novel, um, I really found that I was writing too many stories because the, the, the subtitle really points to a lot of stories in the book because not only is this William Shepard's story, it's also the whole cast of courageous characters around him that were influential in helping topple Leopold II. So 
you know, when you look at a scene, it, it goes back to, you know, for writers that are familiar with what they call slaying your babies, um, you, the things that you think are most precious and important. I, I mean, I've pulled out so much content. Um, I, I think I, I have enough content for book two, you know, so right, <laughs> right. that's it. That's so that's a little bit about the process. Yeah. And Joey, what drew you specifically like how did this story speak to you so much so that you wanted to put this work into it you know that's a great question because as ken and i began researching this period and researching shepherd's life story and lapsley's life story reading the memoirs reading book after book on the period what really became clear is through the research we found essentially what had been what has been going on in the Congo for the past 25 years. So a lot of people are familiar with the genocide in Rwanda that happened 25 years ago where the Hutus murdered close to a million Tutsis. So when that happened, then many of the uh, people who had committed genocide in Rwanda, they fled into the Congo, and that began what was known as the two great wars of Africa. Uh, the Congo had two civil wars, and in the past 25 years, over 25 million people have died in the Congo. And the UN currently has the largest UN presence in the Congo. The uh, United Nations has called the Congo region the most overlooked humanitarian and media crisis since World War II, because in the past 25 years, again, over 6 million people have died in the Congo. And all of this dates back to Leopold's theft of the Congo over 100 years ago, because what most people don't know, Leopold II of Belgium is responsible for the world's fourth largest genocide. It's estimated Adam Hochschild, who wrote King Leopold's Ghost, fantastic book, the most authority, authoritative book on King Leopold. He estimates that 8 to 12, 12 million people died in the Congo during his reign. And so it was curiosity about Shepard that led us to the story. But as I tell people, it's outrage that has kept us here because uh, what is going on in the Congo for the past 25 years? People simply don't know that 6 million people have died there and are still dying there over the mineral wars, the militias, um, everything that powers our cell phones and all of our electronics. A lot of those minerals come out of the Congo. Um, so that's one aspect. But then two, when you look at the state of affairs in America within, you know, past I mean, going back 100 years, let alone the past decades um, and everything happening in our society right now, the friendship between Shepard and Lapsley, we really feel that in this story, they have they offer to America and to the world today a model of interracial friendship of what could be. Mm -hmm. So a lot of dynamics have kept us in the story for that long. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, yeah, and the 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 influence of sometimes it's easier to see how 
you know, globalization and the things that have happened where we, we, like you said, our computers, the, the different minerals that, that need to be, you know, uh, raw materials to, for our, our computers, for the things that we use at that time, it was right as, you know, bicycles, cars were coming out and rubber was the big thing. And, and, and it's, sometimes it's easier to see how, okay, rubber and ivory, you know, were the, the commodities and you see how this, this foreign king is enslaving people to basically take all of the rubber and ivory, you know, resources from these places and it's creating this problem. But it's, it's the same problems that are happening today all over the world, whether it's resources or whether it's labor, a lot of the things we benefit from come at the expense of people that are being enslaved, people that are being killed, unfair things that are happening around the world. And, and sometimes it's, it's hard to, to, to see, you know, I mean, not just because, because we're too close to it, but because we hear about it too much and we're, you know, like you mentioned outrage, there's outrage about so many things that it's hard to even keep up because like, there's a lot of things to be outraged about. And, you know, I, I, how, how do you stay on one thing that you're like, man, here's a cause that like, I got to care about and actually make a difference versus just be kind of like overwhelmed with all the outrage and jump out. (laughs) And and that's a great question because, um, I, I, I think that unless her outrage or anger is focused, it, it, it can quickly become toxic. And so, that's why I think, and Todd, you pointed this out in our conversation before we got started here today. That that's why I think story helps us frame perspectives to help us see new insights and new um, perspectives. And so that's that's really what one thing that has kept us in this process is how can we keep telling a better story? How can Shepherd and Lapsley's story? Uh, inform our story today to to give us perspective for you know uh, facing the challenges that that we face mm-hmm. yeah and I was just thinking uh, Joey you mentioned story and the importance of that uh, and you also mentioned the the conflict in Rwanda the genocide in Rwanda I don't think I heard of that conflict and I'm sure it was out there but it really came to prominence in the public eye when the movie Hotel Rwanda came out um, exactly you know, and it, that really sheds so much light. And, you know, I'm sure there was some liberties taken, but it's based on this true story. And um, it, it's presented that this stuff is happening, you know, and, and we aren't talking about it in other areas because we're so caught up in, in what's going on, you know, in other places. So Right, right. Well, and, and with that, I think um, what's what helps in the process is when we personalize story through relationships. So for example, in this long circuitous route of developing among kings, we developed a dear friendship with two people, uh, Camille and Esther Natoto, husband mm-hmm. and wife, missionaries in the Eastern Congo. And without going into all the deep details, um, it was a friend of a friend introduction, but we developed this dear friendship with Camille and Esther, and they've just become sweet, dear friends. I had a chance back in 2015 to visit the Eastern Congo. And to get there, you have to uh, land in Kilgali, um, Rwanda. So you have to drive through the streets and it's four hour drive from Kilgali to Eastern Congo. And 
Um, they've done a lot of good work in Rwanda since the genocide. Um, but when you enter the Eastern Congo, it you definitely go from a well-developed African nation of Rwanda to in a severely underdeveloped Eastern Congo. And when I had the chance to spend time with Camille and Esther, they, they frequently come out here to the United States as well. But by meeting their leadership team at their organization, African New Day, and being, being able to meet uh, some different NGOs, different organizations, uh, Ben Affleck's uh, Eastern Congo Initiative, they're doing some great work out there. By meeting people who live and work there and hearing their stories, it really helps personalize the conflicts that they're dealing with. And I would say the same thing here for, for all the different um, dialogues about race and discrimination and inequity in our society. The more we can meet with people and talk with people, um, it, 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 it humanizes relationship versus the toxicity that comes with dehumanizing people or other people's beliefs that we may not certainly agree with. Right. Yeah, and that and that that's the key to any kind of you know lasting change and healing is actually getting to know people that are different from you and have different experiences and hearing those stories. And one of the things about a fiction, you know, or a um, you know like a historical fiction book or something like this, that it it does let you get into characters and understand them better, their life better, their story better, and I think helps us understand our world, you know, better. I, I was thinking recently about just fiction and how it's the best way to communicate truth because, you know, right now people don't, you, they don't, they don't agree on facts. Like everybody's got their own version of facts because they get spun different ways. And fiction, we already know that fiction has a slant. We already know that fiction is telling us a story from a perspective Really, everything is being told from a perspective. And at least in fiction, you can know that going in, but you can enter a story and learn. And it kind of gets, lets your defenses down a little bit about, you know, trying to just make arguments against an idea. Whereas here, you just have to enter into the story of a person. And it has the ability to shift people's mindsets better, I think, than just an argument of five reasons why you need to go to the Congo and help. Right. right. And there's the statistics like are startling, but what leads to empathy is hearing someone's story, right? And being able to imagine what it's like in their shoes. So I can hear the the six million people have died in the last twenty five years in the Congo, and that's startling. That's like, oh, what are we gonna do? But what is gonna make it stick to me is hearing the specific stories that your friends, Camille and Esther, have, have shared with you that you've seen yourself. And, you know, I think it is such a, a an interesting medium because um, statistics sometimes don't stick with us, but but stories do. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and that's why, you know, when you look at the life of William Shepard, he is probably one of the most overlooked or forgotten African-American heroes that mm. most people don't know ever existed. And I can't tell you the number of times where we've told the story and about his achievements that many of my friends, many African-American friends of mine, they'd never heard of him. And th this is a man that we have to hold up in high esteem because he did so many things that 
nobody knows that he did, but he he had a number of firsts. Yeah. Know. What what are some of the things, uh, Joey, that he did with you know you mentioned Leopold and uh, the second of Belgium and how what an evil king he was. And again, I don't know that people have heard of him. He ranks right up there with Hitler and Stalin and you know Mao. Like th- there's a lot of things that uh, that were just terrible atrocities. But but what what was it that Shepard did um, and those around him that helped to expose that and bring an end to that? I mean, I know you right. can say, well, just read yeah. the book, but I've just gotten to that part in the book and yeah. I'm kind of like, we'll, we'll, we'll try, we'll try to avoid the scene stealers, but some, some things that, that I want to share is that, you know, Shepard went over as a Presbyterian missionary. His aim was to bring the gospel to the people of Africa but when he was there, he really became this outstanding explorer, hunter, art collector. He went and discovered a, an African kingdom that nobody knew existed because no white man had discovered it. Sir Henry Morton Stanley was one of his uh, contemporaries. Stanley worked for King Leopold. He built Leopold's railroad in the Congo, but not even Stanley had discovered the Cuba kingdom, which Shepard did. And so the notion, as many people know, the notion in America and Europe was that Africans were savages. They were all just cannibals. Well, in the Cuba kingdom, what Shepard discovered was a highly advanced tribe with incredible artwork, tapestry, architecture, um, metalworking, on and on and on. He discovered this incredible tribe um, after, after traveling two months in the Congo trying to find it. He, he had a team of, uh, of 11 guides that, that went with him. And it was, uh, it was the king's edict that no village in the surrounding area was to allow any outsider to come into the capital city of what was called Mushenge. And so when Shepard arrives, Shepard has already learned the Cuba language and the Cuba king uh, says to him, how did you even get here? There's no way you would have known how to get here. How do you speak our language? Well, because Shepard had done his homework and learned the language, um, he, you know, he shared his reason for being there. And the king, the king reasoned that because there's no way an outsider could have come into the capital city of Mushenge, he considered Shepard a reincarnated ancestor. And he handed Mm. Shepard a... Cuba, a Cuba royal knife that had been handed down through the Cuba kings for the previous seven generations. Now, this is all true. This is absolutely fact. It's baked into the novel. But that knife now resides in the Hampton University Museum in mm. Virginia, along with what is known as the top African art collection in America which Shepard brought back. So because of Shepard's discovery of the Cuba kingdom, he became the first African-American man inducted into the Royal 
Geographic Society in, um, in England. And then when he came home, he was celebrated. He met with four U.S. presidents. He spoke at black and white universities and churches up and down the East Coast. He, he's this legendary man. And ultimately, as the story builds and as how he, he began to speak out against the atrocities in the Congo, that's what prompted Leopold to bring a slander lawsuit against him and another missionary named Morrison, and it led to the first international human rights trial. So this whole story has all the elements of like a Schindler's List, a Blood Diamond, a Hotel Rwanda, and uh, 12 Years a Slave. Again, all these story elements that play out in America and Europe and in Africa, they're imprinted in Shepard's life story. And, and again, so he's just a fascinating man, a fascinating hero that I think everybody needs to know. Wow. And so if they want to get the book, man, how, how could they get this book now if they want to read it? It's, it's available on Amazon in print and the ebook Kindle format. And so if they just do a search on Among Kings, they'll find it on Amazon. All right. Awesome. Oh, and we'll link yeah. that in the description of this video. The other thing I wanted to talk to you about, Joey, is I, I even noticed parallels in your own story where for Shepard, there was this thing that he just couldn't let go. He went in thinking he was going to do one thing and his mission was one thing, but God had another broader mission that he probably could have never imagined for him. And I think for you, there's been that in this book. Because for you, it seems like it was something that was this fascinating story that's broadened into something that's so important for you, but also for our world and our society to know and to read. And so if we're talking about our listeners, how would you talk to them about following God's lead into a story that's bigger than what they've ever expected? Wow, that's a big question. And, and <laughs> a big question. You know, it's, it's funny because I, uh, I just wrote... Uh, uh, a Grove blog post just yesterday, and it's all about uh, it's it's called the enduring artist developing persistence and perseverance during challenging times. And I was just trying to get at how do we develop greater persistence, perseverance during challenging times. And so I I, I think that really you know illustrates what 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 your question's getting at because. I think, I think we just can't evaluate our lives in, in terms of what we get done during the day or week or month. God has a much bigger long-term vision for our lives. And it's really over the course of many years where there is a honing process for us to become more like Christ and for more, um, you know, to to develop that perseverance that he wants to see in our lives in terms of the development of our character. I I, I do know when we look back at, at Shepard's story, uh, he spent 20 years in the Congo. He certainly had his own personal challenges in his marriage. He had uh, he had two children die in the Congo. Uh, two survived, so he had a total of four children. But um, I think I think. I think the work is really done in the long term in terms of walking with God, walking in relationship with one another, 
and uh, because we know there's just seasons where there's a lot of ups and downs. And so, uh, you know, hopefully over the long term, we, we get a, a, a much better perspective. Hmm. Yeah, I think th- th- I have this thought of, you know, we shouldn't try to interpret our story until the credits roll. You know, like <laughs> w- really sometimes when you're in the middle of a story, it's the hardest time to try to understand what's God doing, what is the meaning of this, you know? And, and I think so many of us are in the middle of challenging times trying to interpret our own story. And it, it this is, again, another reason that, you know, fiction helps because we pull back and we look at the big picture story or historical, you know, characters and looking at their lives, you know, in the middle of any of those stories, it was probably terrible and they didn't see the point in it, but you can't really see the resolve in the plot or how God is working all things together for good until, you know, until afterwards, sometimes till years afterwards. Absolutely. And, you know, I was watching a, a really great Denzel Washington speech yesterday where he was given a commencement address. And he, he just talks about the simple, the simple fact that it's hardship that develops us. Ease does not develop, does not develop us. Rest can certainly help give us perspective, but it's, it's really in the, the challenging hard times where our character or lives get developed. And I, I, I think it's safe to say um, overnight success has probably ruined a lot of people, um, but not hard times. Mm. Yeah. That's so good. So good because it, you know, I know a little bit of your story, Joey, and I don't think we went over this, but Joey, you also lead a really awesome ministry for creatives um, called The Grove. Um, but in that process, I was a part of the Grove and I got to know a little bit of your story and just uh-huh. your own um, striving to get through certain points in your life and and how that has um, really blessed your character. You can see it today, but it, it also probably in ways that you don't even know yet. Yeah, I mean, there's there's certainly been... Um difficult seasons. Um, Drew, you know my story, but, um, you know, Todd certainly knows, um, you know, back in my thirties, I had chronic pain for 10 years where I had to step away from my writing career for a couple of years. And I, and I thought I was done. Um, but in God's good sense of humor and grace, um, I've been able to write again for the past many years. Um, so, you know, dealing with chronic pain for 10 years was not a fun journey, but, um, I, I am grateful for, the lessons that I learned through that. Joey, I'd actually love to talk a little bit about the growth because I think there's an awesome ministry there that a lot of people don't know about. You guys do so many awesome things for those who are creatives and artists. And um, you also have great content that you guys put out through blogs and videos and things like that. So tell us a little bit about the growth. Well, uh, the Grove is all tied to one of my uh, never, never statements that I make and God just laughs at. And that never, <laughs> never statement was, I will never start a nonprofit. Who in their right mind would want to do that? But in a long, <laughs> circuitous route, uh, that's what I ended up doing about 18 years ago. And, you know, the, the whole focus of the Grove, it's all about cultivating the spiritual life and the creative work of artists. 
And it's, it's something I never planned on doing, but I can honestly say my, my past 18 years working with artists and being a writer myself, um, the, the, the people and in, in our team with, with our board of directors and our volunteers that I get to work with, it's just so enriching because um, there's just a real need in the church to see how the arts can help people experience God's truth, his beauty, mm -hmm. his love, his transcendence. And the arts are a language that everybody in every culture understand. But it seems like um, in the church, for some churches or some people groups within the church or different streams of Christianity, there, there's a real disconnect. You know, so all of us have our favorite movies. All of us have our favorite books, our favorite podcasts, our favorite musicians, um, our favorite magazines or types of cars that we drive or clothes we wear. All these things are created by artists, by creative people. Um, but if we can understand that, that God has made everyone creative in different ways to different degrees, and if we can approach our life with a sense of being made in the image of God and sharing God's creator image, then we could approach life and relationships and our work and our art more creatively. Not everybody, I don't believe everybody is an artist. I certainly believe that everybody is creative, but yeah. the arts give us a great way to engage and experience God's goodness in, in all sorts of different ways. So I can go on and on and on about that, but it, <laughs> uh, we're, we're, we're working with artists at the Grove. It's, 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 a, it's a lot of fun. Um, you know, I know Todd's spoken to our group before drew, you participated with us for a whole year. So it's, it's, it's a great group of people who are passionate in their love for God. And they're really serious about creating well. And if people want to find out more about that or how to participate or access your resources, where do they go? Yeah. So for The Grove, they would go to www.thegrovecenter.org. We, we have a lemon and avocado grove, so that's why we call it The Grove. It's thegrovecenter.org. And then I was also going to mention on my website, which is Joey O'Connor, that's O'Connor with an O-R.org, there's all sorts of Among Kings videos that people can uh, watch and learn about the characters that I've written about in the book. So in both places, the Grove, we've got online courses, uh, the blogs, uh, free resources, and they're available to anyone, whether you're an artist or not. So awesome. Joey, thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me, guys. It's a uh, yeah. being with you guys. Love what you're doing at Mountain View and this this new podcast that you got. And it, it's just an honor being with you guys today. Yeah, Joey, I, I'm just really thankful that you have stuck with it and are sticking with this this novel as well as the you know producing a film. You are still working on the film for Among Kings as well, right? Absolutely. What what we've done, we've took taken that original film script and we've now developed it into a ten episode limited series. And the irony here is. 13 years ago, when Ken and I hopped into the research, we said, you know, this really needs to be like a, a television miniseries or an HBO series because you, you just didn't, you know, streaming wasn't invented until seven years ago. And so now there's the opportunity and platform to tell 
the fullness of the story through a limited series. Yeah. So we're, that is definitely uh, still in development. That is so amazing because that, yeah, those are the kind of things like you, movies now are either too long at two hours. Cause I don't have the, the attention span, but that one hour show <laughs> where I can like watch and then just like get hooked for the next episode is man. I'm always looking for those. Uh, so thanks. Get, get that happening soon. Cause I'm going to run out of things to watch. Definitely. I'm working on it. <laughs> yeah. So everybody read the book so that by the time the series comes out, you're ready to just dive in. Yeah. You're, you're definitely going to want more once you read the book and I have been enjoying it and um, just so thankful for it. So go out and get the book and um, yeah, ch- check that out. And we'll put all the stuff in the show notes so that you can have links to all of that. Um, I know Drew will do that. I don't know how to do any of that. I'll do it. I'll take care of it. Thanks, and if Drew. you guys have any questions for us or for Joey, um, feel free to go to our anchor.fm page there. You can leave a comment, an audio comment, and we'll try to answer your questions on the air. If Joey gets enough questions, maybe we'll just have to have him back on. But we'll uh, send your questions along to Joey and he can find a way to respond to you. So um, go ahead and put your contact information in there as well. So great. Thank you so much, Joey, for being here. Hey, thanks, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll talk to you all you guys later. Bye-bye. Bye. If you're interested in learning more about how you can help the Congolese people, please check out the nonprofit Joey and others have set up, the Congo Reform Association, at www.congoreformassociation.org. Also learn more about our awesome ministry partners in the Congo, Africa New Day, at www.africanewday.org. As you do, prayerfully consider joining in with what God is doing to bring His restoration to the Congo and the Congolese people. Both those links are in the description of this episode. Thank you.